the Content Lab, the weekly podcast for content marketers about the strategies and tools you need to create addictive content your audience will love. I'm your host, Liz Murphy, Impact's content strategist. Happy Wednesday, everybody. And for many of you, I bid you a happy inbound or content marketing world week. Sadly, this year, I find myself not in Boston or in Cleveland for either event. Instead, I'm here at home in my office in Annapolis, Maryland, with two stinky dogs and a cat that snores, which is kind of funny because I didn't know cats snored. It's very weird to see such a graceful creature snoring like a 300 pound man. Anyway, while I'm bummed to be missing out on the action, I will say I kind of love weeks like this. Not only are they quiet because most of my team is up in Boston at HubSpot's inbound conference, I get to spend almost the entire week as a result in my little content cave, completely uninterrupted. And my quiet little content cave is where I am happiest when it comes to work. First, I light a scented candle. This week, I am going with a delightful little pumpkin pine cone candle from Target. I went into Target to get light bulbs and four lean cuisines for lunch this week and nothing else. So I didn't get any lean cuisines and I left with a candle, three new pillows and some storage tubs. But that's okay. It's fine. We're human. It happens. So anyway, yes, I light the candle first. Then I go get some seltzer water. And then after that, I get to work. In my cave, I get to pull together strategies and do research completely free of distraction. I get to create massive outlines that I then later destroy because they're garbage and then I make new ones. And then finally I start writing and writing and writing. For many of you, that doesn't sound like heaven. That probably sounds terrible because writing is terrible, right? Here's a fun fact. Writing is actually really hard for us nerds too. The ones like me who get paid to do content creation every single day, which actually brings me to the topic of today's conversation. I have invited fellow impactor and content marketing strategy consultant, Kevin Phillips, to join me to address one of the most common objections we hear from folks when we ask them to create content. And that is, but I'm not really a good writer. If you've ever said that to someone, or even just to yourself, quietly muttering as you stared hopelessly at a blank document on your computer screen, this episode is for you. So stay tuned. As always, of course, don't forget to stick around for this week's One Thing and the Weekly Awesome after my chat with Kevin. But otherwise, let's get to the interview. Well, I'm very excited today to welcome Kevin Phillips, a fellow impactor to the program, but not just a fellow impactor, a fellow content nerd. I am so glad to have you here. Although I don't think content nerd is your official title, right? Close. Close. Uh, It's the content marketing consultant. Ooh. Okay. So what does that mean in impact terms? So real briefly, what I do for impact is I teach our clients uh, how to do marketing in-house rather than hire the agency side of services where we would do a lot of it for you. I teach you how to be self-sufficient with your own organization. I usually have them hire a content marketing manager, someone who's going to own the process of creating content. A lot of that is based on the backbone of writing a lot of content. They're going to be blogging. They're going to be creating emails. They're going to be creating offers and landing pages and copy and messaging and social media posts and all that different stuff that all requires them to 
write stuff down for their audience. So basically you're the guy who's like, okay, so you're going to have a lot of homework. There's a lot of stuff that you need to get done. So what's interesting about our industry and how it's evolved is that I'm starting to notice that more people like you and myself and Ramona, who I had on a few weeks ago, who's our head of editorial content, um, there's just more demand for content people, content nerds, word nerds to get into this business. But that wasn't necessarily the case even just a few years ago, it's becoming much more commonplace now. And I'd love to hear before we dive into today's topic, how you actually ended up in the role you're in now. How you, what's the origin story of Kevin? So I literally stumbled into this industry blindly. I have no idea. A uh, little bit of context. I grew up in a small town called Fairbanks, Alaska. Uh, when I was younger, I always knew I was going to be a writer. I grew up reading Stephen King since I was in the third grade. I was a little too young to be reading that level of stuff. (laughs) My parents just let me do it because it kept me from bothering them at night and stuff like that. So I would read Stephen King books at night. And I said I was going to be a writer at a very young age. That was my my dream. Um, But then life happened. Uh, Instead of going to school after – or instead of going to college after high school, I decided to try and be a professional snowboarder because I figured I had the rest of my life to uh, write. I want to pursue this other thing I really enjoyed. Uh, so I moved down to Mount Hood, Oregon. Turns out that being pretty good from a small town does not translate onto a national scale. Got hurt <laughs> a lot trying to become a professional. Ended up moving back to Alaska at about the age of 21. And I joined the Carpenters Union. I was just trying to make some money and then it was really good money making money as Alaska carpenter. It's for a 19 year old kid making, you know, like 30 bucks an hour. It's, it's worth it. So I started being a change at that (laughs) way to go, sir. Too bad. I I was also 21 and was allowed in the bars. So I just blew it all. I did not nest egg Mm -hmm. in the slightest. Um, You didn't have a diversified portfolio at 21. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, after I became a journeyman carpenter, I just, I wasn't into it. I liked the money, but like, I was like, I can't do this for the rest of my life. This is not my path. So I started putting myself through night school, um, you know, working like 10 hour days and then going to like, you know, three or four hours of night class and doing homework and stuff. And I took me about six years, but I got a degree in English, uh, minored in journalism. And I had no idea what I was going to do with it. I was just happy that I had it. I figured maybe I would write fiction. Uh, one month out of school, and I graduated at the age of 31, um, I saw a Craigslist ad offer looking for a writer with video editing experience. That is all it said. It did not give any details of what the business was, what it really entailed. So I answered this uh, Craigslist ad with uh, an article I wrote for the school paper, a humorous article on what it's like to be a dad at a birthing class, because I had just had my daughter. Um, and it was so weird being in the Lamaze class for me. Um, and then I sent a, an example of a snowboard documentary I had made because, like I said, I grew up snowboarding and hand in hand with that is shooting video. So I had, you know, like a, a nice little snowboard video I sent in. And the guy hired me mostly based off the snowboard video because he's like, you can shoot and edit video. I was like, yeah, yeah. But I also wrote that article. And he's like, yeah, cool, cool, cool. Uh, I want you to do that for my company. So I got hired at a place called the Alaska Sleep Clinic. And it's a diagnostic sleep disorder center, mostly for sleep apnea, if you've ever heard of it. Um, and, I, and Marcus Sheridan, who's one of our co-owners at Impact, had been hired to train me how to do well in that position. He taught me what you're going to write, 
um, and a little bit of how to write it for SEO purposes. And I just went in there with the, I am never going to hold a hammer again. I have no idea what content marketing is. I have no idea what sleep <laughs> medicine is. I didn't know the industry I was in. I didn't know the position I was, had taken up, what it, what it was all about. Uh, but I just, yeah, hit it as hard as I could. And I wrote, you know, over a hundred some odd articles about sleep apnea. Um, and I grew a website from about 2,500 people a month were coming when I started. And now it's over 400,000. I've had several articles in the millions of page views, hundreds of thousands of page views. Dude. A lot of times, if you go Google things to do with sleep, sleep medicine, sleep apnea, CPAP machines, you're probably going to find some of my content on the first page. Uh, I did that for about two years. And then I ended up contacting Marcus and was like, I'm getting tired of talking about sleep, man. You got any uh, clients that are looking for a writer? I could jump into a new industry and rinse and repeat. And he said, why don't you just come to work for me and teach other people how you did what you did? Um, so then, yeah, I took on that role at the sales line and I was there for almost two years and then we merged with impact. And then my role is basically the same here. I teach people how to get to the first page of Google with written content and then also lead nurturing, fun, fun with emails, all things based around copywriting for the most part. Mm -hmm. So, and that's where I'm at now. That's awesome. And I remember it, you and I have had a chance to kind of, it's so funny. I remember when it, the sales lion first merged with impact, I was like, Oh my God, you guys talk to Kevin. You got to talk to Kevin. You guys are so similar. You're going to have so much to talk about, but you and I have yet actually to have a chance to actually work together. And we've had kind of like adjacent conversations, but it wasn't until this past trip for impact live when you and I were sitting on the last night <laughs> um, before everybody was about to go home and we were sitting in the hotel bar and I remember you and I were just kind of like, you were telling me your story. I was telling you my story. And it was kind of like, what happens when two content nerds get together and trade war stories? And I remember one of the things you said, which is actually the topic of today's episode, was one of the most common excuses or things that you hear from people when you first start working with them. And I remember I just raised my hands like to testify. And it was like, preach. Yes. And that's, but I'm not a good writer. And, you know, I, I, dollars to donuts, I've heard that from people who work at Impact. I've heard that from people who are clients. I've heard that from people who know that they're supposed to be doing it, but when you actually finally pin them down and say, okay, now it's your turn, that's what comes out of their mouth. And I remember you had this great answer that I don't want to steal from you, but I remember the first question I asked you is, what do people actually mean when they say that to you? I think it's just, <clears throat> again, we were drinking, so I don't remember my answer. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> well, trust me, it was brilliant. Um, honestly, it really comes down to fear. They're afraid that they're not going to be great at communicating because great writing really is just expressing how you are as a communicator. Like I remember going through English classes and like, I'm going to get an English degree and I had a cousin uh, who had his own um, audio installation company and he had just been published in a, a book by crack.com. He wrote a humorous article for their blog. Mm -hmm. It got published. He said, why are you going through school to be a writer? I said, well, I'm going to get better. He said, if you can communicate and you can produce a coherent thought, you can be a good writer. You don't need all that grammatical skills and all that stuff. That's just like icing on the cake. Great writing starts from great communication. Uh, but when people object to writing and why they don't want to write 
it's fear, really. It's them being afraid that they're going to be judged, that they're going to be told that it's not good. Uh, they're really afraid of just using their own voice, sometimes for the company, because sometimes they're working for a corporate company and they're afraid that if they, you know, their personality and stuff won't match up with what their, the company's objectives and stuff like that. So they end up just dragging their feet on not doing anything to where then they end up not producing any content at all. Uh, yeah, so it's kind of sad. It, the funny thing too, is that sometimes it's, I would agree a lot of times it's fear, but it, the other part of me when I've pushed certain people in these conversations is that it comes down to, in some cases, not all, that they were on board with content marketing and the idea of the inbound and they want to do it, but they don't want to be the one actually doing the homework. Yeah. They just, they don't want to put in the time and the effort. And once it actually comes time to, you know, put that proverbial pen to paper, well then sometimes the easy out is, but I'm not a good writer. And what I really want to explore today in, in our conversation is how do we help people who may be listening right now who think to themselves, I know I'm supposed to be doing this for my organization or for my personal brand or someone who has a personal brand that is contributing content to an organization. You know, how do we help them overcome that to be those energized contributors who, who believe that they have something strong to say, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. So when you start having these conversations with people, like let's say I am that client where I say, well, I'm, I'm just not really a good writer. What, what's generally your response after that? They write every day. They're already writing every day. If they have any social media presence at all, they're writing stuff every day. They're writing emails within their organization. They're writing tweets of their own. They're doing Facebook posts, Instagram messages, text messages to their loved ones and friends. Maybe they're on Reddit comments. They are writing already and communicating every day. It's just they're afraid of this blog writing. It seems to be something so different and so alien to them that they don't they don't see it as the same thing that they don't realize that they are already like carefully considering their words when they come up with the perfect comment to go along with that uh, Instagram post or something like that. So it's really just getting them that mindset of recognizing that, yeah, okay, I do write every day. This is just a different form of that. And why is it important that for people who may, you know, cause you deal a lot with contributor scenarios and an impact we have that our, ourselves for our own publication, you know, where we deal with, pretty much everybody in the company who's contributing. And I know you guys have done content marketing workshops where the goal is to get everybody contributing. How do you help people see that they are part of that story, that they have a voice worth being heard? Because usually the follow-up I've gotten after this, but I'm not a good writer. And then, you know, you have the conversation to explain, well, hi, you do this every day. Then often what I met with afterwards, well, I don't really have anything to say. It's not always an immediate reaction. It sometimes can take a little bit of time and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, they write an article or something and I got to butcher it with like a red pen, you know, but I try and be polite. I really go in there and highlight the things that they did well first. Mm -hmm. Okay. I really like this phrasing. I like this sentence. I like that like personality I could see there. You're really good at explaining things, but you might want to tweak X, Y, and Z. Like really highlight the things they're doing well, because if I just go in there and be like this, 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 that, and that, and it's all wrong then that fear is only going to like compound and then they're definitely going to drag their feet on the next one. So you, you give them little wins of what they've done well and then talk about what they can work on. And then a lot of times it's when 
the articles actually start to catch on. Like if they start to rank, they start to get traffic. Maybe a salesperson writes an email to the staff like, hey, I just closed a deal on a lead. Uh, when I talked to them, they said the first piece of content he read was this piece by this person. So good job. Then they're like, oh, then suddenly they're like, they get that little bit of uh, inspiration and that little confidence boost that they need. And then they're ready to start tackling a little bit more. Sometimes they need to see a little bit of results to kind of get over that hurdle and then dive into it. But it sounds like in order to get over that hurdle, so we're talking about it from the perspective of us about how we coach those people to get to that point and, and ensure that like, hey, yeah, we're taking, we're taking you to task with our, with our red pen, but like there's a lot of great stuff here. It sounds like for someone who is scared, you just got to try and you got to be okay with trying and trying again and just putting yourself out there and being honest and as helpful as possible in your content. Yeah. Cause that's the other thing is people think that, you know, writing is like all inspiration and like a skill that you developed from like the, you know, the age of five, like kids were born writers. I mean, I sure I said I've wanted to be a writer since I was a young age, but a lot of people don't get into it till later, but they think that it's, you know, inspiration and um, an ingrained skill almost when really like the majority of it is just work. It's just like anything else. You want to get good at something, you got to work at it. You want to be a better writer at the best piece of advice. Uh, first, I would say read three books. One, Stephen King's on writing. Two, Anne Handley's Everybody Writes. And three, one of my new favorite books is Josh Burnoff's Writing Without Bullshit. And the last two are very marketing focused, how to write, you know, marketing and blog articles and business content. But Stephen King's on writing. Uh, his two top pieces of advice is you want to write, read a lot and write a lot. It's that simple. Like you just got to do it. Read a lot. So you recognize what good writing is and kind of read constructively too. Like you read a paragraph and don't just kind of let it go out of your mind. Like kind of break it down. Like what was it about it that like intrigued you? What did you find interesting? How is it structured in a way that connected with you and start looking for those identifying markers and then ask yourself, well, how can I do that in a piece of content? Yeah. It, I oh God, I couldn't agree more about Anne Hanley's book. And one of my favorite things that she talks about in that book also that I always found extremely helpful for me is, you know, not just reading and not just going out there and writing and writing again, but being okay with the fact that like, you don't have to be Hemingway right out of the gate. You know, I'm, I'm always surprised when I talk with people because I've had people ask me about like, blogging tips and tactics because I'm also a co content strategist. But I say like, you don't even want to know what that first draft looks like. It is a minefield. And one of the things that she talks about in that book is like the very ugly first draft. Like you got to get that out of your system. Just get all the ugly thoughts out of your head. You know, like I think people don't understand that it is a process. And I watch people basically have their, their cursor mocking them. Like it just stares back at them and it blinks at them because the words aren't coming out perfectly the first time. And that's not how it works. You know, like you don't have to be perfect. You can have multiple revisions. I have plenty of things that I show other people internally at Impact where I'm like, hey, all of the words are garbage. These aren't the right words. So ignore those. Are the ideas correct and in the right order? You know, like there is a process to it where the end result can sometimes seem effortless. You know, it's kind of like when you, I remember when I used to go to inbound, the, the talks that always used to frustrate me were things like, 
we were a, a, a nothing partner with like one client. And in six months, we became like the Cinderella story, diamond partner, 18 bajillion dollars in revenue. Like you only ever see the giant successes afterward. And I think sometimes the same thing can be said for content. You only see the pieces that look effortless at the very end after all the work has gone into it or the ones that popped like, and all of a sudden they have the answers. And really we're all just doing the same thing. We're getting up, we're sitting in front of our computer and we're trying, you know, yeah. that's my, okay. I'm going to get off my soapbox. Yeah. Even good writers <laughs> have the same struggles. I mean, like me, I'll admit I'm a terrible procrastinator when it comes to writing. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's the same kind of thing. It's that hesitation, uncertainty, like for bad writers or, you know, people that think they're bad writers, they're afraid to put anything down on paper because it's only going to get worse to them. They're like, ah, I know I'm not good. Once I start writing, it's going to really come through and it's going to, it's going to be worse and it's going to be less than perfect. So they drag their feet. I think for good writers too, same thing. The idea in our head is perfect. And as soon as we start to write it down, we start to kill our baby a little bit. Everything right? goes horribly like wrong. Suddenly, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, ah, it's still my baby, but this kid's a little bit funny looking. Right. Uh, but that's what the other drafts are for. Like get that ugly first draft out, knock it out, walk away from it. Like oh, if yeah. you've got time, this is why it's important not to write the night before or like two hours before something's due because you really do need that. Write it all out, walk away from it and then come back to it either, you know, like an hour later or maybe even the next day. If you have the time, you can come back to it a week later and then you can kind of dissect it. And then you can kind of really look at it with a critical eye. Um, and then after that, you write your second draft and then pass it on to someone else that can uh, edit it for factual elements and stuff like that. That's one thing I don't do for uh, the people I work with is I can't tell you like, uh, you know, the engineering facts on something. I'm never going to catch those mistakes. So someone yes, within your organization works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I'll pick out your grammatical stuff and really look at it from uh, a UX perspective. You know, how are readers going to connect with this? Did you answer the question that they set out to have answered? Were you vague? Were you straightforward? Uh, did you bring up new questions they might have about other stuff? So then they want to go research other things that you might have. Did you give them clear next actions to what they should do after reading this piece of content? Um, those are a lot of the things I really look for. I really like though how you talked about the fact that, you know, we all face the same fears. We all like, that's the thing. Like when, and when we work with people who say, but I'm not a good writer, this is going to be hard. Well, yeah, we know <laughs> like firsthand we're, we're people who like pain, you know, like I had a project that I was working on literally yesterday and I had that like 30 minute existential crisis of I'm a fraud. I can't do this. I've been given this assignment. I'm going to fail. And it was fine. Everything worked out just <laughs> fine. You know what I mean? But we like those, that fear doesn't go away just because you have like content manager or content strategist in your title. So if you're one of those people who's listening and you're, you, you feel like, Oh, well, I'm not like them. I'm not like them. We are more like you than you think. We just, we, we touch the hot stove and then keep, keep touching it and then ask to get paid for it. <laughs> and the other thing, it's a skill. You're going to get better. The more you do it, the better you're going to get, yeah. you know? I mean, I like to point out <laughs> uh, Marcus, I'm pick on him again. Marcus has terrible grammar and stuff like that. You know, like I read some of his articles and it's like, man, there's a lot of red, but he has such a unique voice that when you read one of his pieces, 
you can like hear, if you've ever heard him speak, you can hear him saying those things out. And that's what great writing is, is when you can be like, I've heard this person speak. And as I read this, yep, that is them to a T. Like this is exactly how they would talk in real life. And that's really what you should aim for is like, no one wants to read straightforward, dry, boring information about, um, you know, being a landlord, like give personal experiences. If you've worked with that company for a while, um, you know, put little anecdotes about your life are nice to mix in the content too. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, Holly from River Pools, who now writes for Marcus, she usually starts most articles off with like a little um, anecdote about growing up swimming in her grandma's pool. And it's just that like human element. And then you go in and learn about the technical aspects of a fiberglass pool or something. But it's those initial paragraphs where you can tell it's written by a person and you connect with them on like an empathetic level that will make you want to read more of that stuff and come back for more. Otherwise, if there's no human element to your writing, someone will read it and go, okay, I get it now. And then they're not going to come back. They're going to go, they'll read something by the next person. Maybe they'll stumble across your writing down the road while they're researching, but uh, more than likely they'll, they'll just take off somewhere else. Well, you bring up a good point there too. There's a very big difference, I think, between the people who are afraid of writing, who say I'm not a good writer, how they define good writing and what good writing actually is. Like, you know, people feel like, oh, I've got to sound like this brilliant, polished, protect, like, manual or, like, professional brochure or something along the line where, like, they have to write in a way that's not themselves. And it's something I actually see in a lot of young marketers that I've worked with in the past is that they, they write in a way where it's like, you're choosing words you wouldn't normally use, man. Like, you're talking, and you're, you're trying to speak up here when it's totally okay to speak at your level. It's totally okay to be yourself, to be that person, to have the rid ridiculous stories. Like the moment writing for me got a lot easier was just when I embraced the fact that I'm absurd. I'm an absurd <laughs> human being with lots of opinions about ridiculous things. And the, the minute I started getting really great compliments on my work was when I started just telling my stories and being 100% myself in my writing. That's when it happened. It's when I started breaking all the rules and I stopped trying to be what I thought a good writer was, you know, because yeah, it's different. Yeah. And I think some of my early success was some of that same stuff. When I started writing for sleep medicine stuff, you know, health was one of the first things people were really using search engines for. Like, what's this mole? Why am I not sleeping at night? You know, they'd ask questions knowing that like uh, WebMD would come up with some answers of, you know, that usually led to like, I got the cancer. Uh, but when I was reading a lot of the, the content on sleep apnea, it was very jargon heavy. And it was like the normal person is not going to be able to parse this out. It was like a doctor writing for other doctors, using a lot of technical jargon like apnea, hypopnea index, saying things like cessation of breathing instead of you stop breathing. You, you stop breathing in the middle of your sleep. You just stop. Uh, but they're using yeah, words over people's heads that then the average guy who actually has this stuff is not going to understand that he's going to feel dumb reading it. So you don't need to dumb it down, but just you know, make it simpler. Use everyday words. Use your own words too. Yeah. One of my favorite tips that someone ever gave me was whenever you're struggling, like whenever you're struggling to choose the right words to describe something, at, think about a coworker or a client coming to you in person, sitting down and asking you the question and then write it how you would say it. Yeah. You know, like don't artificially inflate your language or say something different. You know, just write out exactly what you would tell them. 
And usually you're not too far off because I like that example you gave about Marcus because it's totally true of his writing. I have read some drafts. Um, let's just say, Marcus, I don't know if you're listening to this, but you do take some artistic liberties with how the English language functions from a structural perspective as well as grammatically, but still that voice is so clear. You know, it, it really creates that connection where somebody feels like they're sitting in a room and he's just talking directly at you. And that is, that is an incredibly powerful way to communicate as a writer that I don't think people realize is a lot closer at hand than they think it is. So what are some of the tips and tricks that you tell people to really get to the point where, yeah, it's never going to not feel totally like work, but really kind of helping them get over that hump and getting over the fear, like beyond that first draft where it's like, you know, just keep trying and, you know. Yeah. Well, first, you know, they, they look at it like, Hey, I got a word count kind of in mind. I have no perfect word count for an article, but generally I want things in the thousand plus range because Google oftentimes does equate length of content with quality. So, uh, the, it's more about being thorough than long and wordy. Um, don't have that. Oh my God, I got to write 1500 words. And then they get stuck on that character count and then just hammering out nonsense to try and meet a certain limit. Um, start smaller, start with just, you know, write down your topic a couple of times and make sure it's a clear topic that could be answered in, in an article. Uh, make your bullet points, just build out a skeleton. Like how would this logically flow? Like what are the main points I need to do? So then you first, you get the bones then you put a little bit of meat on it. Uh, and then in your final draft, you come back and you put the flesh on it and you kind of breathe life into it and make it, you know, your Dr. Frankenstein here. Um, other things is that they, I've got their back too. Like I will help them find anything that's wrong. And maybe it's uh, also, you can go online and find some writing exercises. If you think grammar is your, your weak point, you can just type in grammar tests and you can go take that stuff and start, you know, getting your subject verb agreements, right. And all that fun stuff. Um, using the right version of two, two, two or which, which, you know, um, and just do it every day and be mindful as you're doing it um, is the most important thing. Cause yeah, when you are writing content for a company, you're going to be writing a lot. So it's either something you're going to do um, or you're in the wrong area. I think <laughs> the worst thing I ever seen happen is I had a, a, a writer really dragging feet one time. Uh, wasn't producing anything. Same thing. I'm a bad writer. I can't do this. I can't do this. Uh, finally I got an article from her and I was like blown away. I was like, this is really good. So much so that I was like, I don't think this is her. So I put it through Grammarly plagiarism checker, 85% hijacked from other sources. And then you have to have those uncomfortable conversations. Uh, yeah, we can't do that. <laughs> Feeling is um, bad, okay. <laughs> and then instead of just owning up to it and being like, all right, look, I was under a deadline last minute. I did it. Yeah, I just stole some stuff. Uh, she backpedaled and was like, well, I mean, maybe I did. Like, maybe I read something and remembered it. Oh, you read 285 exact words <laughs> and somehow typed those in? Come on, own up to it. So yeah, don't wait, especially if you're a bad writer, don't wait to the last minute. Start cranking out stuff now. At least get your skeleton drafted out. Try and put some bones on it. Um, get started early. Um, and then you'll feel less stressed if, if you're not waiting to the last minute of the deadline. Like I now know that I procrastinate. So I start an article like a week before it's due for Ramona. And then even still the last minute, I'm like, Hey, hold on a second. I, th I think I want to add a little bit more into here, please. Mm -hmm. um, 
and I'll go in there like, I just got to crank out 1500 words or something. I end up with like 3000 plus or something. Oh yeah. Cause once I start, I, I can't stop. And a lot of people have that same thing. Maybe, you know, one example I've heard is set an egg timer at your desk. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to clear all these tabs out. I'm going to turn Facebook off, turn social media off, turn my phone off, tune the world out completely, set an egg timer for just 20 minutes and start writing. Don't think too much what you're going to write. Just start anywhere. You know, a lot of times your initial paragraph, you're going to find you cut that out and you're actually going to start down on your third is where that the article or the story, if you're writing, it really starts anyway. And if the egg timer goes off at 20 minutes and you're super relieved to get out of there, well then take a break. But a lot of times you'll find you're not done. You'll just ignore that thing, turn it off real quick and you'll get back because it takes a little bit of time to get in the zone. But once you're in it, like try and stay in that moment and just keep, keep plugging along. It's work, but it can be a lot of fun work too. Oh yeah. And I love what you said about, you know, not really hyper-focusing on the word count because I think sometimes it can, it creates this barrier in front of us, which makes it really impossible for us to just focus on like putting one word foot in front of the other. And what I usually tell people is, you know, when they say, how long should it be? I say, just write until you're done. And people will usually with that kind of direction, write a longer piece than if somebody had just given them that artificial, it needs to be 1500 words, you know, because if you're thoroughly answering a question, like you said, you know, that's where you're going to get to. The only other piece of advice I would give, and this is something I've noticed with a lot of new writers is that, you know, we, we talk a lot about an inbound, you know, buyer personas, which is rightfully so, you know, those fictionalized versions of your ideal customers. And then you should be targeting each of those individual pieces of content toward a specific persona. And one of the most common rookie mistakes I see is that people try to write about a topic and make it an everything to every one piece. And so when I go through and then I read it, I'm like, so this paragraph is for this persona, but this paragraph is for another. And so what you're expecting your reader to do is to figure out, you know, which pieces are for them and which isn't. And that's frustrating and no one's going to want to read that. So I usually say like, pick one, you know, like, I don't care if there are shared values or problems or goals that are shared by like two of the personas, pick one primary and write to them specifically the end. And the best part is, is that enables you to come back and revisit that topic for a different persona later from a completely different perspective, which makes it easier to make your content strategy sustainable. But like, that is one of the biggest ways I see people get really fouled up is they're trying to essentially write a research paper that speaks to too many people all at once. And that's just impossible. Yeah, I mean, sleep apnea, so many people are affected by it from all walks of life, but I named my persona Sleep Apnea Steve after my dad, who I, after being in that industry, I was like, dude, my dad has that stuff. How can I convince my dad he needs a sleep study? So like every article, I felt like I was writing to my dad um, to try Hey, it didn't work. I must not be that great because my dad still has it and still is refusing because <laughs> he is very much a, this is how it's always been. So this is how it's always going to be kind of guy. But hopefully I changed some other sleep apnea Steve's minds and got them to come in and have a study. Uh, and then the other persona I found was that the, like my mom, basically the, the bed partner who is the one who's usually having to listen to this person, stop breathing at night. How do they feel in this situation? What are they struggling with? And I started writing articles targeting them. Like this is how you talk this person into do it and getting on the empathetic level of like, this is your health. This is something you should be worried about. Not just blind statistics about 
well, this many people have it, and this is like uh, the number of people that might get COPD or the people that might have congenitive heart failure, all these different fun things, just really hit on like the importance of why they should be getting it uh, taken care of and connecting with them on, on their fears. And then there is real solutions to this, and it's not as hard as you think it is. I really love content like that too, because once you really start drilling into that level, you know, where you were just talking about it, create, you know, establishing that empathy, you know, showing and demonstrating that you understand exactly what they're going through. That creates those moments with your reader where they're on the other side of the screen going, oh my God, they get me. Like, that's me. They know exactly how I'm feeling. For the first time in my life, I feel like seen. And that's really what people want because, you know, when we think about what content is really designed to do, it's meant to solve problems and answer questions. But that also means that in your content, you need to establish, you know, emotionally or, or professionally where people are. What is the pain or the friction that they're feeling in their lives at that moment that led them to say, this is the question I want to answer. This is the problem I'm trying to solve. And the minute you can create those moments, you know, that that's, that's where you really win. But that only works if you're willing to get specific, where you don't try to you know, bring the mountain to Muhammad, so to speak, in one go. You know, it's, it's, it's bit by bit and step by step. What are some of the things that you would call rookie mistakes or common pitfalls that you see with new writers who are just starting out um, that they should try to avoid or, you know, don't freak out or however you would want to phrase it? When they work for a large organization, again, not having, not being afraid of their own voice, you know, uh, wanting instead to use corporate speak or things again that are just so broad and vanilla that no one's going to say it's bad, but you know, it kind of is like it needs some flavor to it. Um, don't be afraid of putting yourself in there a little bit. Um, again, and then the other thing, like we just kind of went over empathy is the most important thing in business writing because as businesses, we're solving a problem for somebody. So you really got to identify not so much on here's my solution for you, but really hit on the problem they're experiencing first, get them to reflect on that, hold the mirror up to them. So they go, yeah, that is the problem I'm experiencing. I get it. I need that solution. Where can I get that? Then you hit them with the, this is the solutions we offer. Um, and don't worry about grammar and stuff. You're going to get better. Just, care about learning, pick up a book or two, read a lot. Again, read just regular literature and just kind of look at how sentences are done. You know, we talk about Hemingway as being the, this great writer, but he's got his own style. It's very short and simplistic to the point kind of, but that doesn't mean that's the best style. Then you got someone like Edgar Allan Poe or Dean Koontz who writes really long, like um, vibrant pictures of stuff. You know, I think in that, again, in that Stephen King article, there's a great example of Poe versus Hemingway where Poe had like two paragraphs describing a river. And then Hemingway's description was, he went to the river, the river was there. It was just like two guys coming to the same conclusion, but in two totally different writing styles. So you don't need to match up your writing style with someone. You're going to develop your own, uh, but you got to be afraid to not to let it develop too. What's one thing that someone could do today, right now, in their next writing assignment that would make their content better? Hmm. I'd say get informal, as informal as you can, like delve into the absurd, like go full out on your personality and how you would say it if you were talking to your friend, then you might go back and tone it down a little bit, but still keep some of those entertaining anecdotes and stuff you might've used 
uh, in there and put a, put a tie on it, but don't go too formal with it afterwards, you know, like start full left field out of and then you'll have fun with it, right? You'll have a lot of fun writing this content. Sometimes I do that and I go way too absurd and be like, okay, now I'm just delving in like the ridiculous. Then on my second draft, I'll, I'll take out some of the jokes and some of that stuff and then, but I'll keep some of that stuff still in there. And that's usually those little pieces, which are some of the best part of the work too. Oh yeah. I mean, and the other thing to keep in mind too, is that, you know, it's so much easier to pull writing back a little bit than to push it out, you know, because when I've gotten drafts from people who, you know, they're creating content and they, they start from the position of afraid of, of overly buttoned up. It makes it hard for me to coach them to get them where they need to be because they haven't shown me anything of themselves. And it's, it, it, it's so much harder to, okay, we'll add personality here, add personality there. It makes it very, it makes it very artificial. Whereas if you just do that kind of balls to the wall approach right out of the gate and then just kind of pull back strategically here and there, you're going to end up with a more authentic piece that was way more fun to write. And also if you have a content manager that you're working with or a content editor, it makes their job much easier because so much of how I've become more effective at my job is getting to understand people's rhythms, their personality and how that manifests itself in its writing. But if you give me some sort of like one dimensional piece where there's no part of you in it, it makes it very hard to get it to where it needs to be. Well, cool. Totally agree. So Kevin, if people have other questions or just want to say, hi, you're great. You're awesome. How do people get in, in touch with you? Uh, email is usually the best one. K Phillips at impactbnd.com. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, but I don't usually use it that often. I am not that very social media savvy. And a lot of times I think I use Facebook to maybe post a picture of my children like once a week at best. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm a lurker though. So I will be on there reading stuff. Um, yeah, I save most of my writing for, you know, creative writing and for um, blog editing and art, or blog articles, which well, I got one coming out this upcoming week that'll be kind of a silly one on uh, infographic of the different SERP features that you can find when typing in a search. For those who don't know, what is SERP? Search in a result page, just all the cool different things other than organic results in my pop up there, a featured snippet, um, videos, image packs, local three packs, knowledge cards, all that fun stuff. And it's got a kind of a goofy uh, um, Alaska slant to everything too. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I'll make sure to include a link to that article in the show notes once this goes live. But uh, Kevin, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, I'm so glad we got to officially and finally nerd out a little bit over content. It's been fun. Yeah. And if you ever want me back, you know how to get a hold of me. Oh yeah. I'll find you. Don't you worry. <laughs> All right, cool, Liz. I'll catch you later. Catch you later. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. I definitely did, which is why I am going to take a page out of Kevin's book and keep it simple with the, this week's one thing. The one thing that you can do right now to make the content you create even more awesome than it already is. This week, your one thing is a challenge. I challenge you simply to give yourself a break. Seriously, Kevin and I talked about this at length, but us content nerds go through the same emotional highs and lows with creating content as you do. But the reason we are able to push through and keep going isn't because we're wizards, although that would be very cool. It's because in those moments, we give ourselves a break. 
We tell those negative voices in our head that are screaming at us that writing is only hard because we suck at it to cool it. And then we cut ourselves a little slack. So the next time that happens to you, when you're sitting there frustrated, wanting to pull your hair out because writing shouldn't be this hard and obviously it's a shortcoming on your part, give yourself the same kind of break. Tell those mean voices inside your head who are trying to convince you that you can't do this to pipe down because they're wrong. Remember, writing is a process. It takes a little bit of mental elbow grease and running into a few roadblocks as you think things through is totally normal and part of the process. That's how it's supposed to work. Now, if you don't want to take my word for it, I get it. I'm a creepy lady talking to you through your earbuds while you're at the gym. But this week's Weekly Awesome is a quote from Anne Hanley's book, Everybody Writes, the same book that Kevin mentioned earlier that deals specifically with this fear of the ability to write well. In our world, many hold a notion that the ability to write, or write well, is a gift bestowed upon a chosen few. Writing well is considered a kind of art, linked murkily to muse and mysticism. That leaves us thinking there are two kinds of people, the writing haves and the hapless, for whom writing well is a hopeless struggle, like trying to carve marble with a butter knife. But I don't believe that, and neither should you. The truth is this, writing well is part habit, part knowledge of some fundamental rules, and part giving a damn. We are all capable of producing good writing, or at least better writing. And with that, we have come to the end of another episode of the Content Lab. As always, don't forget to subscribe on your podcast delivery service of choice, whether that be Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, A Carrier Pigeon, Smoke Signal, what have you. Also, you can connect with the podcast directly at Content Lab on Twitter and Instagram, or you can also chat with me. I, you can find me at Naptown Pint pretty much everywhere on the internet. I tend to tweet a lot, and I hang out around the grams quite a bit as well. And finally, don't forget to leave me a review. Not only does this make me feel really awesome about myself, it helps this podcast get found. So you can knock two birds out with one stone. And with that, I will talk to you next week. Bye.